First of all, thank you for having me here this morning. It's a blessing to get back together, to worship the Lord, to be part of this environment that one can help each other through faith and love. Thank you for your faithfulness towards God and the church, your generosity, sharing your gifts, sharing your resources, helping us as we just saw the video of our food bank, and we hope to have coffee back soon. The, our team is much bigger than you saw, but because we are now offering coffee and snacks and tea and the moments of sharing the word, we are in uh, short numbers, but soon, maybe this week or this coming next week, we will be back to where we hope to. We have almost nine people in our data, in our bank data. And if you have anyone, like Pastor Ren was saying, even about Chris, if you have anyone right now struggling, in need, give us their name. We can contact and offer this Friday's morning, or you can bring this person in, or they can register by themselves. Confessional prayer under COVID time. A penitent psalm of David, Psalm 51. Sin. We don't like to talk about it. We don't pray much about it either. Some say we are a generation of Christians who pray little, not enough. Tons of reasons. And we have heard in the leadership team, media, entertainment, fun, good life doesn't help us to pray. Because when we are in despair, we pray. When we have nothing, we pray. When we are being persecuted, we pray. When we are broken, we pray. But when things seem to be good, we may not pray as much. And it is staggering our research carried by Barna Institute decades ago who says that Americans would pray on average five minutes a day and even including pastors and pastor wives. But we are Canadian, tough people. We pray a little more, eight minutes, maybe, eh? But if that is true, not everybody, but the average, if that is true, how much of this time of conversing with God, we talk about our sins and we confess to him? Perhaps, like you and me, knowing that God is love and that Jesus Christ paid in full for our sins at the cross, maybe we assume that we don't need that part. We may say it, like I said this morning with the group we are praying, forgive our sins. But maybe God says, which ones? What are you talking about? It cannot always be mechanically, automatically. Just forgive our sins randomly. And we are going to learn about it. But shouldn't we confess our sins in a regular basis? Don't we need to acknowledge our mistakes, repent, and ask for forgiveness often? Don't we need to ask forgiveness for those who have sinned against us? Or we have sin against them and confess 
some of our sins to our brothers and sisters? First John offers that, chapter 1, 9, if we confess our sins. So suppose, assume we have sin. Actually, if you say we do have no sin, we make God a liar. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse from our mistakes. The Lord's prayers, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, and so on. Today, I want to share with you Psalm 51 from David. A man of God's own heart. Focusing his reflection, confession, and lament of sin. Between David's sin, or his major sin, or the no one that he is confessing, and the confession, it took a year. So the things David is going to confess in here, in Psalm 32, or even in, in 2 Samuel, chapters 10, 11, 12, the time he did that, and the time he confessed took a year. And between the time he sinned and the time he came up with this psalm, there was only one thing in between. A man. A godly man. A prophet. Nathan. And Nathan came to him, told him a story of a rich man and a poor man, where the rich man stole his only one eye lamb and took this, stole from him, killed, and offered as a dinner for his own visitor to be hospitable to his visitor. Despite of him being rich, having plenty of resources, his own herbs and flock, he stole and killed, and killed it. The king was astonished, furious, and state. What a horrendous thing this person did. He, he should pay for it, and he should be killed and die. You are the man. You are the man. You are the man, stated Nathan. Who are we blaming for our wrong? And poor choices for our sins committed against others. So today, I want to meditate on this psalm who tell us about two needs when we go through a season of apathy towards God as a result of lack of confession. The first part, Psalm 51, 1 to 9, I want to read for you. A need for God restorations. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Bull out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. 
Cleanse me with high soap, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blur out all my all iniquity. A need, or I need, for God, God's restoration. Once in a while, we all need that. Either because you are lacking of doing the right things, either because something in our life is not going as smooth as before, either we are lack of this fellowship and somehow we stop reading the Bible or reading it meaningfully, we stop praying as often. Maybe you and I in this time of COVID lost our buddies, those who would get together and pray, those who would you feel comfortable telling them your weakness, those who would bend their knees with you, not judging you. Maybe all sorts of things might have happened this almost year, and then we need restoration. And maybe the first thing maybe we should consider is what they did, a crying for forgiveness. This is the way we approach God. Have mercy on me, O oh God. Otherwise, you are coming in front of the judge, always pleading no guilt. And whoever has gone bad in the traffic, you know that you can... You're going to be charged anyway. If you got the red sign, if you have your picture, there is no way out. No way to say, you know what? This guy behind me says, was it someone dying, someone who pushed you? Were you in an accident? No. So this is the picture. What do you want? I plead guilty. That's the way. Now let's talk how we can pay. Let's see how we can make early uh, negotiation here. So when we come to God, may be filthy, or may be lack of enthusiasm. Only lack of enthusiasm would make us guilty. Because our God is so great. Everything he does for us is so amazing. All the things we've been granted, we've been given, we've been blessed, should be enough for us to be content. But we complain. So in here is... A confession of sin. A crying for forgiveness. And that's the only way anybody should come before God. We do not come before God upon our justice. According to our wisdom. We approach God on base of his mercy. David sinned by having an affair with Bathsheba. A married woman. He sinned. And he was responsible for her husband's death. Uriah. Sin is a condition sinners have. And David will be clear about it. When Nathan rebuked David, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he stated in three words or three ways. And this is going to be repeated throughout the psalm a few times. Trans transgression, iniquity, and sin. So he crossed the forbidden boundary. He has a serious rebellion against God. He liked sinning. He liked the woman. He desired her, 
despite of having a heart and a lot of women, he could be as king. But he went in the wrong direction. Or iniquity, the perversion, probably the original sin. Most of us have gone through it. I did when I was 21. Actually, God did. I wasn't aware that I was a sinner. I wasn't aware that I was not right with God. I wasn't aware that I was going fastly to hell. But the gospel was preached. My eyes were open. The conviction of sin came. I repented. I confessed. And I was forgiven. And I was born again. Did you have that? Maybe you, you were brought up in the church. That's fine. There are different ways. We are being brought to the faith. But have you ever had this major consideration that you were born with sin? And that's why you have these tendencies, these inclinations, and then you sin. David not only talks about his immediate problems. He goes back to the root. He goes back to Adam and Eve. He goes back to the way we owe, owe damage in the moment. And we fall short. We miss the mark. So David acknowledged his sin. He understands the crime against God. And he pled guilty. By asking forgiveness, based upon God's character of being merciful, lovingly, and compassionate. We don't find it easily in the courts, in the trials, even with people. Sometimes we are so uh, full of intention to ask forgiveness and to offer forgiveness, and we have to do that. But sometimes the other part doesn't give. What can you do? I say one of the hardest things for Portuguese people, I'm Brazilian, and we are easygoing people in in many ways. We are fast to ask and we are fast to sin and we do back and forth those things. But Portuguese people, they have a zero tolerance for others' mistake. Maybe they, ha they have far too much for themselves, but they are not aware of it. But for others, so if you have a Portuguese friend, you know what I'm talking about. If you make a mistake with them, you may not see them again. They may not invite you again to your home, their home. You may not eat again in that restaurant who didn't cook that thing, the part you want well. Those are the tendencies we have. And, but God is merciful. Yes, he's judged. Yes, he's going to punish. Yes, we need someone to pay for our sins, but he's paid through Jesus. God is merciful, longly, and compassionate. Let's apply this for us. You and I did not do what Dave did, but sin is sin. We are responsible for not being filled with the Spirit, for not being cheerful, for not being thankful, for not bringing all tithes or offering, for not loving the others as we love ourselves and so on. We should not be apathic with so much blessing coming from heaven every day, but we are. So then, you and I, despite of what David did, we also do something, we should cry out. Maybe today, 
Maybe that's the hope you have, and that's the action you need. Maybe therapy helps. Maybe psychiatric uh, doctors help. Maybe some medication is helpful. But let me tell you, our sole problems won't be solved, won't end with those resources. We should cry out. We should pray. And whatever is lacking in our life, even justice, we need to cry out to be more righteous, to love more, and to have integrity. And then verses 3 to 6 is going to offer his confession. So first he cries out, God, have mercy on me. Don't you remember someone saying that to Jesus? And Jesus stopped. And Jesus offered the healing to the person that was marginalized. Lord, have mercy on me. And he did. And he healed the man. And probably forgave his sins. But we need to confess. And David stated three times. Again, like before. There are three words that describes God's attributes. Mercy, love, and compassion. And three words for sinless. We talked before. Sin, transgression, iniquity. He goes back again. It's kind of he needed to add something, some adjectives, some explanations about those strong statements. And let me be quick here. Verse 3. I am aware of my sin. So he's clear about it. In Psalm 32, years later, he addressed the same prayer he did in Psalm 51 with more reflection. And actually, actually there, he also have the forgiveness of his sins. Here he asks, and he hopes, and he plans on that result. But he is not offering in this prayer, in Psalm 51, the forgiveness. But he got it. Right away with Nathan. And here he says, I'm aware of my sin. Are we aware of our sins? If you are married, you don't need to go too far. Just ask your spouse. Maybe she's telling you. Maybe he's telling you. But you thought, this is their idea. Uh, God, am I good? Are we aware of our sins? It looks like that we do not recognize our sins because most of the time we don't see ourselves as sinners. But David did. Verse 4. I know that is sin. Against you, you only I sin. Of course, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his wives. He sins against his family and nation. But in ultimate. In, in, in the, actually, the root of it was God. He sinned against God. And if everything exists in God, when we sin, we sin first and utmost against God. Verse 5, I confess my sins, and my sins springs from my throughout evil nature. So he's calling again the original sin. He says, that something is in me. There is a root. Paul says the same later on. There is an evil who lives in me. But he's born again. He's the apostle of the gospel, the grace. But he says, this evil thing abides in me. The, the good things I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I don't want, I do. Romans 6 to 8. 
So let us be sure that there is something still in us that we're going to carry until we die or Jesus comes back. But that doesn't need to act. There is a remedy. There is a daily exercise you and I have to do. Confession of our sins, our weakness, our need for God's strength and grace, and then we're going to overcome. But let's not pretend we are not sinners. Because David said that. He says, I am a sinner since my birth. And all of us are. Adam and Eve were not sinners at birth. They sinned later. Jesus was the only one who was not sinner and never sinned. But we all are born sinners. We are sinners, so we need to recognize it and ask forgiveness on a daily basis and loving and God. And knowing that we need ongoing dependence on God through His Spirit to help us not to sin or sin lesser and lesser if He allows us. This is the second time I'm preaching this psalm to you and to me here. Differently, but the same one. And once I preached, first time, somebody told me, this is the psalm I read and pray every day. I was even shocked because I don't do that. But this person says, I read this psalm every day and I pray. Since that time, I learned something about it. He, thirdly, appeals for God cleansing. He makes a petition. Following the part of the triple parallel statement, David wants God to do something. He wants God to cleanse him with his soap, wash him, and blot out all iniquity. And these verses are repeated from verse 1 and 2, but comes back on the 7 to 9 again. I think he wants to explain again what he's talking about. Cleansing means Something he wants to erase sin if he could. Only God can do. Erase sin from my life. I don't want to see this mark. I don't want this record. I don't want it to be pointing to me and accusing me every day. Wash refer, refers to the illustration of the law. They, they need to be washed until he wants to become white as snow. There is a ceremony of being washed when the priest would pray for you once a year. Blood out would be like deleted completely from the record, from the hard drive. I don't want a record. I don't want to be remembered with that. And the idea of his soap was kind of planned. They would sprinkle the blood in the ceremony. To be clean. So in other words, David understands that he needs the blood to be clean. In fact, amazingly, David is seeing, pre-seeing what Christ is going to do years, thousands of years later on. He understands the need for the blood to be clean. Do we recognize that our offering, our sacrifice, our worship, and nothing else can repair us but the blood of Christ? We first need God's restoration 
But secondly, we also need God's sanctification. I want to spend more time a little bit in here. So we need to be put right with God. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to ask for God's forgiveness. But we also need God's sanctification. We need God's presence in our lives. So verses 11, and we sung it here before, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgression. I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. It's not easy to preach and teach. And you can see that. But it's easier to preach and to teach compared to living. It's easier to appoint people's mistake, but not our mistake. It's easier to share a teaching, to share a lesson, to put like a, a set of rules or set of codes that we should live by, but not live in it. And that's not right. But how can we, after being forgiven, live in a way that we can be inspiring others? How can I teach others? How can I lead someone to faith? Someone to a deep connection with God? Someone to be cheerful by living God's presence if I'm not living that? If something that, oh, yeah, when I was 20 years old, if I say that, it was too long ago. Doesn't help. That has to be fresh. That has to be renewed. And maybe that's why we have services every Sunday and we offer other means of faith. So a need for restoration. So in the first part, David saw a need for forgiveness. He had sinned. Now in the second half of the psalm has to do with the need of pardon and purity. He needs this sanctification, the presence of God again as he got it before. David asked for God three supernatural interventions. Let's put it this way. Three supernatural interventions. Nobody said that. It came in my mind said maybe that's the way I should look at it. Recognize that man cannot do it. You and I cannot apply neither forgiveness or pardon of sin, and we cannot, by our efforts, bring those things. Science cannot do it. Therapy cannot do it. Money either. There is no heart surgery, no brain surgery, no plastic surgery that can operate in Inside the man and maybe externally. We need something from God. And that's what David is talking about. Verse 10 to 12. He desires a inward renewal. Our creation of a new heart. And in some ways this is the most important part in the psalm. Here David prays for an inward renewal. 
The effect of sin in his life was so terrible that he doesn't want to fall again. He doesn't want to relapse. He doesn't want to do the same thing he did before. And which assurance he would have? None unless God would strength. If you were drug addicted, if you were alcoholic, if you have a, a impure sexual driven desires, and you've gone this way, you were forgiven, you know the risk you have to fall again. And we all do. And David is aware of it. He says, if you don't strengthen me again, if you don't put a new strength and presence and power in me, if you don't do something that is supernatural and intervene in my life, I won't be able not to do the same. And potentially he could. But then he prays that. He gives me a new heart. He cast me away and restore my joy. So David prays and asks this new heart. Thousand years before Christ's atonement and the new birth, he gives through his Holy Spirit. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, prophets that were 200 years ahead of him. They spoke about it. But David did it before. Ezekiel says, I will give you. God says in Ezekiel 36, 25, 27. God says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put you in you a new spirit. I will remove, remove you from the heart of stone. And I give you a heart of flesh. 200 years later of this psalm. So David uses something here that is only seen in Genesis 1. The word in Hebrew is bara. When God creates something from nothing, he brings to existence something that didn't exist. That's how God creates things. Different than what the science and evolution says. So David used that word of power. Maybe relate to Jesus. Jesus is the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And nothing was created without him. So David used the word that probably Jesus would operate, that he can create something from nothing. What David is saying, this heart I have is good for nothing. Remove it. Take it. Give me a new one. So what David is kind of saying, he's kind of saying, I need a transplant, a divine transplant with a new heart. This is what David is saying. A divine heart transplant. Wouldn't you like that? I would. Do not cast me away. David is not thinking about heaven, uh, hell. David is not thinking of losing salvation. But David knows the only reason he has the spirit at this time is because he was anointed king. So when God took the spirit from Saul that was given for him to reign and be the king and, and rule in the place of God. Once the spirit was taken, he was good for nothing. He could not even reign and his life was miserable. And we know the end of his life. So David 
knows that. He can lose the power. He, he can lose the, the meaning, the purpose of his life. But I don't think he cares so much about it as much as he cares for God's presence. The fellowship. The experience he had before. He said, Doesn't, do not cast me away in a way that if I need to be king in order to have a spirit, keep me in the, in the, in the role because I need and I want your spirit. Could be salvation, could be, but I think he's concerning about fellowship. We don't need to worry about losing salvation if we received it. But maybe some roles is going to be uh, taken. Maybe if you going through a difficult time in your marriage, you may need some time to step out of ministry to work on the problem. But our fellowship cannot be lost. And if we lose it, we need to regain it. And David, in David's case, he listened to God, and God heard him, and God pleased him. His life was not taken, and his spirit not taken from him. Restore the joy of my salvation. Do you still feeling sad when you sin? If you do, it's a good thing. Because the Holy Spirit is leaving you. And he gets sad about it. But once we are forgiven, don't buy the Satan lies. You are forgiven. Take advantage. Claim that. But now, look to be filled again. Look to have the sanctification daily in your life, in our, my life. Look for this fellowship that was once broken. Now can be restored. Now can be better. They, the fellowship with God was broken. But now he repented. He confessed. He was forgiven. And cleansed came to his life. And he wants a new heart and a new spirit. And the joy that he had before. Have you ever had that? Do you still have this joy? Has this joy somehow stopped in your life? If it's the case, there is a way to go. Go to the cross. Ask God to search your heart. Even when you don't think you have done something. Ask him. Read the Bible. The Bible is the mirror. If I go and look in the mirror how I look like to come to church, for instance, is a good thing to do. But if you want to know how your soul, your spirit is, go to the Bible. The far you are from the world, you think you are good. The longer you are, you think actually you are an amazing person. And the closer you come, you're going to see that you are not that great. Actually, you're not good at all. Actually, we are terrible. We need God. We need his strength. We need his forgiveness. We need his spirit. And that joy that comes with salvation. And then David, once he understands and asks for that, even not having received yet here, he says, if I get that, Lord, I teach. I'm a sinner. And I know many people who are broken. They are as Sinful as I am, they are sinners as I am. And if you help me, I make a proposition. I will teach them. 
I will help them. And this is what he did the rest of his life. He promised to teach others the lessons about forgiveness he has learned. Second Samuel 11.12 is going to show that right away Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. You're not going to die. There were consequences. But he was restored and he got what he asked. You and I can teach others as long as we learn the lesson, as long as we are put in practice. And then he says, I teach the ways of God. I will teach his righteousness. Isn't that sharing the gospel in the old mode? Don't you feel amazed that David was already interested in helping others in the same way he needed help? How do we feel about it today? The Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I am a person who likes to use everything that is offered that is good, even science doctors, therapists. I am not against it at all, and neither is this church. But let me tell you, there are things they can help with, but they cannot fix, they cannot solve. And there are a lot of people, and maybe it can be you today, that are suffering even disease, because something happened in your life, and you just need to confess, ask forgiveness, ask God to bring you back to that fellowship you had before. So, if Nathan said to David at the beginning, you are the man, maybe he would say to us, you are the man. Or maybe I could say, we are the man. We are the women. We are the person who is fall short and needs God's restoration. David is gone. He's with the Lord. And all the other saints that has passed away is gone. All the others who have sinned has gone too. And we will never know where they end up. And these days we are thinking about some non-figures. What they thought, what they preached, and how they lived. And we don't know where they end up. And it's not our business. But we are still here. And not yet there. How is your confession life? Have you ever repented once for all of your sinful life or nature? When Jesus was with his disciples, the last lesson he taught was to be humble and to serve others. But the example he gave was meaningful because he used defeat. And I know, and I... And my wife disagrees with me. Maybe he, she's more hermeneutical than I am. She said, but that has to do with humility and example of service. Say, yes. But part of me thinks, why he wants to clean the feet? Yeah, they need to eat. Only that. Isn't there a second la layer of it? They were clean already by the word. When Peter says, I don't want that. He says, no, I need 
Otherwise, you have nothing part of me. I need to wash your feet. And then Peter said, okay, wash me all the way around. He says, you don't need that. You are already clean by the word. But I need to wash your feet. For me, this is my interpretation, and probably I'm wrong. But let me share. Maybe it could be something right. We are forgiven, most of us, if we have dealt with the original sin. But daily, we need to wash or to have our feet washed. Daily, we need to review our heart, our motivations, our thoughts, things we've seen, things we've heard, things we've thought. It has to be about God, not about our sinful or sins. Everybody sins. And we sin because we are sinners. And we fall short before God. And then we need Christ to be clean. And we need the work of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to help us. David is a good example of grace. No matter how bad he was and how bad we are with David and this psalm, we can learn that we can come before God. Applying his mercy. And God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit in our lives will fill us up again. Will transform our heart. Will do a transplant, divine transplant. He will write actually his own loss in our heart. Are you willing to have his spirit, a clean heart, a new spirit in Totally fellowship with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. That maybe COVID is given even being a terrible thing. A time to reflect. A time to ponder how humanity were fasting, uh, going right speed to sin and to forgetting God. We take this moment of lament and ask, would you help us at least to come out of these COVID times in a better shape, in a real transformation, with a new heart, new spirit, with a life that can inspire others, and maybe after COVID we can teach others your ways and your rightness. Please, Lord, help us to reflect it. And maybe even today, to consider, to confess, to repent, and to receive the joy that it can be brought through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.